0: On today's episode of Melanated Conversations, we amplify the voice of Dr. Kalisha Walden. Dr. Walden is the CEO and Principal Consultant at Transformation by Design Consulting, LLC. Dr. Walden has a PhD in curriculum and instruction and is committed to using her expertise to empower and support educators and organizations in the creation of transformative spaces. Dr. Walden also has experience in instructional design and curriculum development for schools and organizations and mentoring coaching. She builds capacity by offering professional development opportunities on topics such as fostering equity in the classroom and in your company. Listen in as Dr. Walden shares her story of pursuing excellence in every aspect of life, as well as her knowledge of best practices in her field, by fostering honest dialogue when tough decisions have to be made. Welcome to Melanated Conversations, our narrative and our perspective.
1: Here on the podcast, we are amplifying the voices of black women and sharing their powerful stories of transformation. I'm Tyrion. And I'm Yana. Let's start the show. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of Melanated Conversations. I am your co-host, Yana. And I am your co-host, Harian. Yes, guys, welcome back to the show. We are so excited to be coming back to you today and with another lovely guest that um, we're so excited for you all to meet and hear um, about her and her um fabulous story and background and all the great things she's doing but we want to formally welcome you to her and
0: welcome Dr. Kalisha <laughs> we have Dr. Kalisha Walden in the house I'm sorry yes let me, yes let me the full name
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank so you we for having me. me thank you for having me
0: Yes, yes. Welcome. We are so happy to have you. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, no, no. You're good. You're good. Um, okay. Yes. Thank, welcome, Dr. Kalishu. Thanks for saying yes to having this conversation with us today. We're excited to, t- to chat it all up with you.
2: Thank you. I am both excited and nervous, but I look forward to sharing me with you all and even learning from you as well
1: awesome and you do not have to feel nervous when i say oh, we no. terry and i we don't know what we're doing we know. <laughs> just think of it just you and you her and i if if we could um in normal times be gathered around the table just think about us being gathered around the table or on the couch just chatting it up like some old girlfriends <laughs>
2: great absolutely <Thank> you <laughs>
0: Well, like we always do in every episode, we always, before we get into our melanated chat portion, we always like to play a little game with our guests. Um, And so, Dr. Kalisha, are you up for the challenge? I wouldn't even call this necessarily a challenge. It's just going to be like a little, you know, put your hair down, have a little fun, really quick. I am ready. Let's go. Okay. Okay. All right. So, all right. So, you're going to play this game called Don't Drop the Mic. Basically, how you play it is I will ask a question. I will give you um, multiple choice answers. You can pick your answer. Yana and I will also give our pick from the multiple choice and uh, whoever, I guess, majority wins type of thing. Or we can just kind of chat about our answers, but it's just a little fun. Okay. Are you ready? I guess. Okay. (laughs) First question. What's most likely to end up burnt when a hot comb is being used on someone's head. So what part of what part of your head would most likely be burnt? Your hair, your ears, your forehead, or your scalp? Ears. 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 Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yana, what about you? Oh, Darien, you just brought
0: back some trauma. <laughs> Why we Uh, bringing back home to this conversation today? Unfortunately, because a lot of our shared experiences happen to be surrounded by, uh, happen to involve trauma. Unfortunately. Uh, Okay, so (laughs) let's look
1: context around the question because my my answer can be dependent on the context. So are Mm -hmm. we? Are you asking from the standpoint of just you know her? the person that is, cause I can't hot comb on here. I, cause I got, like I said, y'all I've been traumatized. Um, <laughs> especially not in kitchen. Um, and for our, you know, our non melanated people that don't understand what kitchen is. Um, yeah. That's just the nape of your neck. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But, whew, Okay. So if we are talking about just someone just, you know, normally mm-hmm. straightening your hair,
0: yeah, like not you say, doing your hair like someone doing like yeah, your mom I, or something. My answer
1: would probably be neck or which I don't think neck was an option. Would probably be neck or ear. Okay. Mm-hmm. But but if we're talking about my mom when she did her hair <laughs> And I moved, and I got popped by that hot cone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness!
1: So really—I could have a forehead burn, a ear burn, a neck
0: burn. Um, Man, I
2: hear the trauma. I hear the trauma. <laughs> Same here, Doctor Felicia. Same here.
0: Same here. I'm going. I'm going. Is that are you? Is, are you finishing or, or if that that, that that grease pop and sizzle
1: Ooh. with Ooh, that yeah. contact of that cone. Uh-huh. It could really be a neck, a ear, a shoulder, because your reaction, you just don't yes. know.
0: <laughs> you know what? So as far as like the most likely place, I think, to get burned, I have to agree with both of y'all. Definitely the ear, the ear. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised that the neck isn't on the ear as an option, but in the neck for sure. But what you just said, ooh, with that. It, that, that heat, hit that grease some kind of, I don't know what be going on, little moisture still stuck in your head. I'm not sure, but woo, it makes you want to fight somebody. Cause it comes up on, like, you know, like <clears throat> if you get burned on the ear or the, or the the neck, a lot of times you feel the heat, you know, it's a potential, like it's pretty close. You feel it. But when that unexpected, like, I don't know what you call that that, that's, that heat,
2: uh, mm-hmm. Whatever
0: it's <laughs> the heat from Ooh. the sizzle, yes. Oh, and fight somebody and jump out that chair. Oh my goodness, the worst. The
1: it's like a never-ending worst. cycle too, because you, you sweat and then you try to get your hair straight. And while you're getting your hair straight, you're sweating because you're scared <coughs> and you're nervous. And
0: Girl, Woo child. Woo, child. <laughs> you ain't never lying. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to do one more question. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. All right. So my next question, <laughs> what's something that your family says, um, something your fam- a family member might say that's con- that's nice, but it's actually shady? Okay. So their response mm-hmm. might be, that's cute, or, ooh, that's cute, or says little, in front of anything, like, oh, your little purse or something like that. Um, oh, bless your heart, or I'ma pray for you. So which one of those shady, but quote, unquote, nice phrases would, um, is something that your family would member would say, or a family member would say? Dr. Kalisha, you're up first.
2: Um, I would have to say that's nice. Um, right. We are a very close-knit family, but we do throw shade. Okay. Um, but it's the um shade that we give in love. So, okay. You know, everyone gets their opportunity, but I would have to say that's nice. That that's our bit of sarcasm. Okay. That's nice.
0: That was that was that
2: <laughs> Yana, what about you?
1: What are my options again?
0: Okay. So that's nice, but that's nice or that's cute. Like, ooh, that's cute. Like, mm, that's cute. Um, Little saying something like "Oh, your little friends," or "Oh, your little purse," or you got mm-hmm. your little shoes on." Uh, bless your heart, or I'm gonna pray for you.
1: And what was the context of the questioning?
0: Like, what's something uh, your family or somebody in your family would say that's typically, it, if someone else hears it, that wouldn't understand it as shade. They say it; it's nice, but is is really shady? They're trying to be nice, yeah. But using shade, oh,
1: that's hard, and honestly, I think there might be something on there that's not on their list. But if it's
2: not on the list, I'm here. to hear my it. Own,
1: but I have a habit myself, I think this might be a southern thing, is putting little in
0: front of everything, right? Mm-hmm. I see a little curl, what you look what? A little for
1: you. Got you a little money. You don't know. you don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> Got you a little piece of man. You <laughs> have, you want, yeah, I'm going to go with little. You'd have bought you a little car now. You think you just can go wherever you <laughs> I want. You you Right. <laughs> Um yeah, actually that is that I think the little because that's what my grandma would say. And it's funny because I say I use little with my girls now. And like you you know what I'm saying you little friends. I ain't one of your little friends. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, probably little. Um God bless you, which isn't on here either. Bless your heart is, but God bless you. Yeah. Absolutely. My grandma used to say that all the time. I know a lot of older uh black women, they use that one. Ooh, that was they 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 were basically cussing you out. Uh but <laughs> in a really nice holy way.
2: I think I think <laughs> another one that my family would say is like, really? Yeah. <laughs> that, really?
0: Yeah. I, okay, really? <laughs> yeah, that is. Ooh, I feel like I say that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> really? Is that the really? truth? Hmm. Uh, the uh, okay hits mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Well, okay, hard. Oh, you know? uh, okay. Yes.
1: okay.
0: okay. <laughs> well, okay. Well, that was fun. <laughs> I said, Well, okay, <laughs> that was so much fun. We could play that all day long, but um, you know. We we want to get to know more about you, Dr. Kalisha, and so let's go ahead and go into our Melanated Chat portion. Yana, you want to kick us off with the first question?
1: Yeah, so Dr. Kalisha, just tell our listeners a little bit about you. Who is Dr. Kalisha, and like, what are your roots?
2: All right. Um, Well, I grew up in a Christian family, conservative Christian family, so my father is a minister, and um growing up we were very instrumental to his ministry so i have two sisters and a brother and so my sisters and me we had a little singing group my mom sings so you know when my daddy did that appeal at the end of the sermon we were the people that came up and sang to try to soften the people's heart to come to jesus oh um, yes yes <laughs> So uh, we were well-known growing up as the Walden sisters and then their mom that can sing. So ministry was really important growing up in our family. Um, Not only were we taught biblical principles, but we were taught how to be our brothers and sisters keepers, that was really big. Um, My family, or specifically my parents, thought it was very important for um, the home and the school to reflect the same values. So we went to Christian school, a Christian private school for elementary, middle, high, and even university. Um, and they were schools where the, t- where the teachers looked like us. So they were Black Christian teachers. And they were very genuinely interested in not only us as their students, but also um, our holistic development. So academically, spiritually, um, socially, and physically. Um, we grew up learning how to be leaders not only in school but in church and my family really has a really strong work ethic and so that has kind of trickled down to each one of us and then how we are raising our our children or our nieces and nephews so that family life growing up really laid the foundation to who I am um, today and Um, I often repeat some of those same things that my parents would say to us growing up to my nieces, to my niece and nephews. Um, So that's like who I am at the core. I'm a Christian and I take root in those Christian principles. And I'm very big on family. I'm very big on, you know, getting to really know who people are at the core. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of the sacrifices of my parents, I think my siblings and I really attribute all of our successes academically or in our careers to just the emphasis and the focus our our parents had on being a Christian and being the best version of you wherever you go. Like, you don't have the opportunity to drop the mic. People are watching mm-hmm. and you need to live up to, you know, those principles and who you really are. And you know, the outside influences, don't let those determine who you who you are. So that's kind of who I am at the core. Um, and my teaching, my relationships with others, um, you'll see, like, traces of those characteristics um, throughout. But
0: that's who I am. <laughs> I love that. Where are you from, Dr. Kalisha? Um, if you don't mind me asking. Actually,
2: I am. I am from Alabama. Well, I was born in Alabama. My parents were late college students, and they got married their sophomore year. So my twin sister and I were the twins on campus in the double stroller. <laughs> oh and wow! So um, that was their sophomore year. By the time they graduated, um, they were um, pregnant with my other sister, and then we moved on to. Georgia, we stayed there for a little bit. And then by third grade, um, we moved to Florida and I've been in Florida ever since. Oh, wow. Uh, You just
0: gonna skip over the part that you're a
2: whole twin. Right. (laughs) We are fraternal twins. Okay. we We do have those moments where we think alike and like maybe two weeks ago, we went walking. I called her and said, let's go walk. And she said, okay. And we end up coming out in the same color shirt and pants. We were like, what? <laughs> 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 so we do have those moments where we think alike. Um, but yeah, we're different.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. And to our listeners, a little backstory too, and how we kind of um, are connected and know Dr. Kalicia. So you guys know our um, a reoccurring guest, uh, that we've had on the show before Dr. Tracy Baxley, um, her and Kalisha are really good friends. Um, I know Dr. Kalisha, uh, I mean, Dr. Tracy was on Dr. Kalisha's dissertation committee. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a chair, right? Or. Yep.
2: No, well, no, she wasn't the chair, but towards the end, she was an acting chair. So. Okay. I depended on her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but yeah, she, but, just wanted to like give you guys that context and how this you know this 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 chain keeps connecting we love <laughs> <laughs> we love how and also too, another backstory so um I know I've shared before on the show that I was part of a coaching group mastermind group um with Elaine Fluker who we had on the show before too um and that's how you know I met Tracy but also, Dr. Kalisha joined too, so mm-hmm. that's also how we connected in that way. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So, yeah. So, great things. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you: when you mentioned, you know, based on your, you said, um, you talked about a little bit about your um, experience um, in your your Christian um, education, and mm-hmm. also the makeup of the the educators and um, and the values that they instilled. Do you think that that experience played into your teachings today and why you went down this path of becoming um, an educator, specifically in the area that we'll talk about more um, in a minute that you really are passionate about?
2: Mm-hmm. I, would, I would have to say 100% yes. I had wonderful teachers growing up And what was so awesome about my experience was that some of those same teachers, we went to church together. So I not only knew them professionally as my teachers, but got to spend time with them outside of school as well. And I think that really made a difference. Um, My parents' expectations for us were very high. Like, we're paying the money for you to go here, go do what you need to do. Um, And I don't recall any time that my parents really had to have a serious conversation about behavior with us, except like one incident with my brother, but that's boys. Um, So there was a level of respect, like my parents expected the teachers to do their jobs, expected us as students um, to do our job. But I had wonderful teachers who kind of nurtured the leader that I am today. I still stay in contact with many of them um, my first recollection of really wanting to be a teacher was in third grade. Um, and you know how in elementary you have career day? Well, it was time to dress up. And I decided I was going to dress up as a teacher. And I was all excited and gun ho about it. Um, but then nobody else in my class dressed up like a teacher. And I felt kind of embarrassed in a sense You know, teachers don't make a whole lot of money. Everybody else, they were dressed up as doctors and nurses and lawyers, et cetera. And I was a little long teacher. Um, I don't think I ever dressed up to be a teacher anymore for any other career day. Um, But I remember having principals who were really interested in life after school, like life after elementary or life after high school. Um, for us, and they really took an interest in what we really wanted to do. So I remember one principal specifically, it was my um, senior year of high school, and the English teacher was going on maternity leave and they could not find um, a substitute. So I had a free period during 11th grade English, and she asked me to substitute for six weeks for this one class. And I was like, me, a student? So every morning, the teacher who was on maternity leave would call me in the school's office and tell me exactly what piece of literature I needed to read and what are some questions and what the assignments were. And I would go in that um, junior English class and I would teach. The principal would like, she would be up and down the hallway, sticking her head in the door, make sure everything's all right. And every time she came in there, those students were on point they were listening to everything I had to say. And I think that really nurtured the desire for me to really forget what other people were saying, like, Kalisha, you are too smart to be a teacher, like, you really need to be a doctor. Um, Because she took that stock within me, it gave me even more confidence to say, I'm really going to do what I'm passionate about. And so I really think that those experiences with um, my teachers really um, taking time to nurture our gifts as students, um, I think that really played into why I am the teacher I am today. Um, so, when I went off to college, I initially registered to be a nursing major because remember, I still had those thoughts in my mind that, you know, people are telling me I don't need to be a teacher. Um, But then I remember my grandmother saying, Kalisha, you need to pray about it. So I prayed about it. And um, once I got there, I changed my major to education. And I have not regretted that decision since then. Um, I taught in K through 12 for 11 years. As a teacher, four of those years, I was a principal. I became a principal at the age of 27. And ironically, it was that same principal in high school that was now the superintendent. And she came up to me and said, Khalicia, it's time for you to be a principal. Like you got this teacher thing under wrap, like it's time for you to move on. And so I was a principal for four years and now I'm a full-time professor um, at a state college here in Florida. And I'm just loving everything um, and every experience that I've been afforded as an educator. Man, wow, you should
0: see like <laughs> Yana and I th- we may edit this part out, but Yana and I always FaceTime each other just so we can take facial cues off of each other mm-hmm. because we're not recording in person like we were earlier mm-hmm. and before everything happened. Um, and so us both like mouthing wow to each other, like making these faces <laughs> yeah. and eyes getting big and all <laughs> I'm doing, what what <laughs> you talk about impressive and the fact that you were substituting. Mm -hmm. Um, as a, as a junior, like that just goes to show not only like your, your achievement levels academically, but just you as an individual, as a person, um, your character and especially how, and how other students received you, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you were well-respected. That's just, that's really, that's really, really, really cool. Um, You and I share something in common that we, I both, uh, we both grew up, um, and went to a private school or a Christian, school, a Christian mm-hmm. school. I mean, my teachers too, the schools that I went to um, up until my junior year high school, I just I finally decided I wanted to try a public school out. But um, we're all majority African American, um, the principals, teachers, everything. So that was rare. Um, I think when you talk about private Christian schools, and getting a private Christian education, a lot of times where the educators are african-american they look like you um and so they tend to have a different impact on you mm-hmm. um and you know that's not to you know downplay uh the majority but that that was something that definitely um had a huge impact on me and i was raised by my grandmothers just me and my grandmother so that the just having those influences around same um and friends still with i don't want to say it's weird to say i'm friends with teachers now but but i am <laughs> as, as an adult you know friends with 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 these teachers now are still and just, just really cool, um, wonderful experience. And I definitely think um, had a heavy impact on, on my life. I kind of, I think Yana Yana and I have talked about this too, just even kind of where we live in Texas, sometimes it's, I feel some type of way sometimes about my children receive a great education, but we are minorities to Mm the, I mean, to the extreme, we are Mm -hmm. the minorities. And so they don't get that experience a lot of time of seeing us in leadership, in those leadership roles Mm -hmm. and classroom and, you know, and in education. But um, I just think that's really cool. I just want to share that um, piece with you. (laughs) And also, I also used to teach special, teach special education in um, okay.
2: high school too, so, okay. yeah. <laughs> okay, one, one, I think that that was one of the beautiful things um, before integration was that our black students were able to see people that look like them and be yeah. empowered to know that, you know, I don't have to remain in this situation. I have people in front of me that are teachers and lawyers and doctors. And my first experience with racism or discrimination was not until I got to work on my master's degree. But all of those things that my teachers told me that you are somebody that, you know, you have to work twice as hard as the next person, um, those things stayed with me so that when I did face those experiences that I knew existed but never experienced because I was in that you know shelter environment of a Christian home a Christian school Um, when I faced those things I was prepared like I came with it like you can't tell me that I'm not just as good as you and let me prove it to you but I believe that that those early experiences with those teachers that saw my potential saw the potential of my friends and my siblings and really poured into us i think it really made a difference like all of my siblings are professionals like my one of my my baby sister is a funeral director owns her own funeral home my twin sister she is a a don for a a rehabilitation um center my baby brother he's a nurse practitioner like When people say that Black education isn't good, I refute it every time or um, knock that down every time by just giving the examples of my siblings and myself who went through schools with just Black educators from elementary all the way on to to college. Like, we're just as successful. Did our schools lack some things here and there? Yeah, but my parents and the home made the difference. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is... This is great.
0: That's beautiful. That is, that's, that's beautiful. I'm sorry. I didn't even mean for the conversation to go, go in a different direction, but that, that is just, that's.
2: They need to hear it. It
0: needs to be heard. The people need to hear this. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um. Now, you've already kind of shared with us why you chose to go in in the direction of education, but can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you are doing right now? Um, Much of your work and training focuses on culturally responsive teaching for marginalized students, right? Mm -hmm. Can you explain us and our listeners Mm -hmm. what exactly is culturally responsive teaching and how do students... Um, lived experiences play a role in this um, style of instruction? And then I do have a follow-up question, but I'll hold that one off to you. answer.
2: Okay, great. Um, Culturally responsive teaching is basically um, in the words of Geneva Gay, she's really big in this area, is using the cultural characteristics, the experiences and perspectives of diverse students as conduits for teaching them more effectively. So really taking um, what they know, who they are, their experiences, and using them as building blocks in the, character, um, in the classroom. So cultural responsive teaching focuses on teachers being empathetic, teachers being caring, um, teachers not accepting underachievement. Um, these teachers form um, intentional and positive relationships with their students. And they use that information to... Um, understand what learning should be like for those students um, and ensuring that the students' perspectives are really included in everything that goes on in the classroom, mm-hmm. from teaching, from um, learning, etc. Um, a culturally responsive teacher um, is one who's also reflective on their beliefs and their biases. So they use that um, information to be able to integrate or interrogate their preconceived notions and how those notions can impact how they really show up for their students. So if there's any bias, then um, they put that bias in check and, and are able to come up with solutions or um, opportunities to really include diverse students. So for an example, um, I'm a college professor as I said before, and I teach this course Introduction to Diversity for Educators. And of course, in the town where I am, it's a predominantly, you know, white town or or city. And so many of my students are um, Caucasian students. And so when we talk about um, biases or um, implicit bias, Mm -hmm. I give them an example. If the first day on your first day of the school year, if a student walks in, he's a Black student with dreads, his pants are hanging down, what are some of those first thoughts you would have about that student? They say, oh, he's going to be lazy, he's going to be a behavior problem, he's not going to do well in school, and so then I ask them, okay, if that, if that, if those are some of the thoughts that initially come to your mind, where do they come from? Yeah. Did it come from conversations at the dinner table with your parents? Did those thoughts come from what the media is teaching you about Black males? Like, where did those thoughts come from? Mm-hmm. And if those were your first thoughts, how do you think those thoughts will impact how you relate to and teach that Black male? What changes do you think you need to make in order to ensure that you are showing up not only for your white students, but for your Black students, your Hispanic students, and all the other students that may be ethically um, or racially Um, diverse. Mm -hmm. So culturally responsive teachers, they're really reflective on their bias and their beliefs. And they really intentionally work to uh, show up for their students and to relate to their students. Um, And then when they make decisions in terms of curriculum and instruction, they really hone in on those practices that are inclusive. Um, The content that they teach is not only the mainstream content Um, That, you know, the school district say these are the things that you have to teach, but they also strive to include content that's inclusive of the lived experiences of their students or what the students' interests are in order to really tap into um, what's next for that student. So, for an example, um, I was teaching seventh and eighth grade math. Now, I'm a great math student, but I would not say I'm a great, great math teacher. (laughs) But that year I had to teach math and I I was teaching mean, median and mode um, and I just was not getting through to my um, students. I think that year I had 18 students and at least 11 of them were black males. I was not getting anything. So I started thinking, like, how can I connect what I'm teaching in the classroom to their lived experience. And so I started listening to their conversations at lunchtime, and they were talking about this big uh, football game that was coming up. Now, I hate football. Okay, not that I hate <laughs> it, but I'm not a fan of football. I won't sit down and watch football just because. But that night, I watched it. And then I went and pulled the stats or the statistics from the newspaper the next morning. And I told them, okay, we need to come up with the mean, median mode of all these players. Um, on the team or the different teams, etc. Those boys, they got me meeting them mode that day. <laughs> because yes. they got it that day because I intentionally tried to connect something that I was teaching to something that they experienced outside of school. And that made a difference. That's what cultural responsive teachers do. They try to make those connections for students. And they ch- also try to really. Look at multiple um, ways to assess students and multiple ways, or authentic ways, where students can really demonstrate that um, they've mastered something um, instead of just a traditional paper pencil test. So they have projects, they allow them to do skits and mind graphs, and they allow students different ways um, to use different ways to show that they've mastered content. Um, so that's culturally responsive teaching in a nutshell. It's using what the students know using information from their backgrounds, including showing the students um, a variety of perspectives on a particular topic um, in order to really rope them into the learning and to make learning authentic and real to them.
0: I love, 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 love that. Yes. I love that so much. What Were you going to say something real quick? No, here?
1: I was just over here like, oh, I love that.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, my, my follow-up question, I feel like there's so much stuff I could just say around that, but I just want to ask the follow-up question really quickly. Um, knowing that a lot of times educators, I mean, the majority, when I say majority, I mean white people. Um a, a lot of times educators in these public schools a lot of times tend to be white people. When you're t- training teachers on culture culturally responsive teaching, what kind of responses do you usually get mm-hmm. from from those from those individuals who happen to be part of the quote unquote majority?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I have received mixed responses from um, educators who are from the majority culture. A good number of them, um they embrace the work. Um, and they really work hard to ensure that their classrooms are inclusive spaces and also places where students of color or minorities really feel safe. Um, but then there's others on the other end of the spectrum that say this has nothing to do with what I'm supposed to do every day. I'm just in here to teach. That's it. Like I've, I've gotten mm. both. Uh, but ironically, I don't only get that from the um from educators in the majority culture, I I get that from some of us too, that, you know, really don't see the importance of doing that or they don't see that it's the best way to really get students to where they need to be. But I mean, I I just remember um, when I think about that, I think of the importance of being able to teach students how to navigate. Like when you have a student of color or a minority student, they're living in two worlds, they're living in their home culture and they're living in mainstream culture, right? And sometimes there's, there are disconnects between the both of them. So as a black educator, I think it's my role to teach them how to navigate the system um, and to teach them that you don't have to forsake your home culture to be successful. So when I'm teaching in front of my students, I speak a certain way, but when I'm at home, chill and relaxing and speaking all sorts of words that shouldn't come out my mouth as that yeah. are not grammatically correct and I'm very comfortable in it because I can be that way around my family so mm-hmm. teaching them to code switch like that's my job mm-hmm. as a black educator if I'm really trying to get my black students to keep um, to honor who they are at the core in terms of their home as well as teaching them how to navigate and how to show up in the real world when it's time for them to show up so i have um black educators that feel like some of the white educators too that you Mm. know they don't need this and that's not the best way to do this or that um so there is resistance in doing this type of work there is resistance but i mean if I can just impact one student positively through changing the mindset of one teacher. Then I think that that's going in the right direction.
0: Yeah. It requires you to step outside of yourself.
2: <laughs> like what? And you know what? Dr. Tracy is that type of person. But when yeah. I get those um, weird comments or Things that make you want to say, huh, I call her and I'm like, this is what a student said today, or this is what a teacher said today. Help me understand this. And, and we go back and forth until, well, that's just not the teacher. We can move to the next level. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's good to have that accountability partner or that person that really thinks like you and, and has that same philosophy um, because it keeps you doing the work and not um, being discouraged and just bowing out because the work is hard.
1: Yes. And that's actually a good kind of transition to my next question, uh, which I feel actually plays into still the whole theme of culturally responsive teaching. Um, One of the things that you are advocate for is, um, that you talk a lot about, is equity-minded educators, and particularly for populations with students of color. Why do you feel it's so important for educators to be equity-minded? specifically for students who are Mm -hmm, mm
2: minority? Great question. So in order to really explain equity, have to kind of go back to like what equality um, is. Um, So these two terms are not equal. Equality is really interested in giving everyone the same access to the same opportunities. Um, It strives to work along the lines of fairness for all. However, when we think of um, our students and their specific and their unique needs, especially those who are marginalized, equality is not enough. Um, Equity is really about giving the students what they need and providing access and opportunities based on the needs of those students. So the students don't get the same thing, but they get exactly what they need. So it's important that when we're supporting our black students, our students of color, Um, who are not, who have um, different experiences from some of our students that are, um, come from more affluent backgrounds, it's important that we give them the specific strategies on how to be successful, um, specific ways on how to engage, and offer them specific opportunities. Um, Gloria Latson-Billings talks about this um, achievement gap and how um, if we really focus on the opportunity gap, the achievement gap between um, our white students and our minority students will close. Um, and so I, a part of culturally responsive teaching is filling that opportunity gap. Like what opportunities do our black students not have access to? That if we gave them access to it, they would be just as successful as other students. Um, they don't have access to um being able to go on all these trips around the world in the summer so like our more affluent students so what can we what opportunities can we give them to ensure that they can have similar experiences and gain that same type of knowledge that others will be able to do and i have to tell you my um black christian school while it was small they made sure that we went to places like dc and virginia and and the grand canyon like taking us out of the state of Florida was a big thing. And many of our black and minority students don't even travel one hour beyond their homes. Um, So it's important that we expose our students to those opportunities. And that's what that equity focus is is all about, um, to ensure that the the school that's um, 10 miles over, they're getting the opportunities that they need to be just as successful as those other um, uh, other students. Um, so, an, uh, an educator that's equity focused is really thinking about the specific needs of students and the opportunities that they need in order to close that um, achievement gap.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I think you answered it. I think you definitely answered the question. Um, I. And I feel like you answered part of the question. The next question the question I was going to ask was just how can educators go about seeking op- seeking support in e- implementing equity uh, minded work, um, and then also how important is it for um, parents or and or guardians um, because we know parents may not always be in the picture mm-hmm. um, to be to be involved in this process, if at all.
2: So. Let me go back to come forward. Sure. I think that equity-focused or equity-minded um, educators um, really go against the norm because it has really been norm. Failure has been normalized for students of color. So when, when many of our students are viewed from a deficit perspective, um, they're basically not giving an opportunity to, to even go beyond what people think of them. So equity-focused um, educators really look at the asset that students have, their strengths, not only the student strengths but the strengths of their families and what those families can contribute to the learning situation. So, for educators who are seeking support to do this work, I think they number one they have to info, they have to invest in their professional growth. No one is responsible for that, but the but the educator. Um, um, secondly, I think they need to really seek out some professional org- organizations to join that really have, um, that has that equity focus, like the National Association for Multicultural Educators. Um, because this work can be hard and feel lonely sometimes, they need to seek out coworkers that are like-minded so that each of them can support each other um, doing um, the work. And to read about what other teachers are doing. Um, along those lines so one good um, periodical is rethinking schools and they're actually um, articles about real teachers who are equity focused what they're doing in their classrooms how um, the strategies and the routines that they're doing in class in their classrooms how they how it's positively impacting students Um, and then there's so many other organizations and list list listservs that people can join Um, but i think that um, for a teacher to really do this, they have to invest in it themselves and not wait on their individual schools or districts to provide them with this um, type of um, um, professional development. They have to really seek that out for themselves. Um, and I think for parents, um, they have to see the importance of, and parents and guardians, they have to see the importance of partnering with their child's teacher. Um, They have to see the role that they play. Um, I believe that parents and educators or parents, guardians, and schools, that we all want the same thing. Um, But in order for parents and guardians to um, really help with this um, equity-based learning or education, um, they should see themselves as a partner and they should know that it's not all on the teachers that when they drop their child off, that's it, they don't have to do anything else. They have to see that they play a a critical role in this and a critical role in making sure that their own child receives what they need. Um, I think that um, they can identify ways to be involved, to share their expertise. So an example of it, of this would be, I remember teaching third and fourth grade And um, new to my classroom was a Haitian student, and so we typically have a multicultural fair in the school. And you know, some of the students had a negative perception of Haiti based on you know what's shown in the news about Haiti. So I decided that we, our classroom, was going to represent Haiti um, that year. And so the parent, the Haitian parent, she really got involved. She taught us a Haitian dance. She brought us samples of Haitian food. We talked about the Haitian flag. Um, She brought in um, Haitian artifacts, like that was her area of expertise. And because she knew that she was willing to share that expertise with the classroom for the good of all of the students that were there. By the time that experience was over, like the students were so gun-ho Haiti, (laughs) that um, it was very interesting how their perceptions had switched so quickly um, between them having these negative perceptions to loving Haiti and seeing the beauty um, in the country of Haiti. So I think that parents and guardians who partner with, with um, their schools and partner with their teachers, they can really find ways to share their expertise. Um, and I think parents also need to be willing to reinforce what their child is learning in school in the home even if they don't 100% understand what's going on, um, like the math today is totally different from the math of yesteryears. And I get that. (laughs) Say that again. (laughs) (laughs) Or language. Yeah, different language altogether. Um, But there are apps that parents can use to kind of help them help their child and being able to know that um, is important. Keeping those lines of communication open. And then also... Sharing with your child's teacher what you know about your child, those assets that you think will be beneficial to um, the classroom and beneficial to the teacher really trying to support your child. I think that um, those are things that parents or guardians can do um, in this equity work, um, their their partnerships with um, the schools and and the teachers.
0: Yes, 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 to all of this. To all of this. Uh, sidebar, I just want to say, Sac to all of my Haitian friends, my peeps. I've been to Haiti a couple of times. We've had a couple of guests who uh, have Haitian background or who are from Haiti. Man, yeah, we love y'all. Sak pase. say. I'll finish it for the people who want to finish it on the other end. Um, but, oh my gosh, Dr. Kalisha. This is great. This is wonderful. This is, oh my goodness. I cannot wait for our listeners to hear this yes.
1: episode. Oh, child. I, I was just over here everything because I'm taking note. I feel
0: like this, you, you this is oh, I'm class, class, <laughs> This is professional it's, it's development it's right here.
2: Professional development. It <laughs> <you> never <laughs> stops. It yeah. never yeah. stops.
1: Oh, if we was in person, uh, you're um, like oh my and
0: <laughs> tell see. her about it. I mean good <laughs> Yes. From um, what did you call it? The um oh Lord, see, I'm not over here taking I'm being a bad student. I'm not taking notes because I'm just trying to hear everything you saying. Um the oh Lord, come back to me. Look, come back to her because it's not. No, you were talking about the difference between the um achievement gap and then you you the other opportunity gap, opportunity gap. Yes, how mm-hmm. was like gap is stuck in my head. The opportunity gap. I love mm-hmm. that and really um viewing students from the pers- from the perspective of their assets what they have and what mm-hmm. their strengths are and and build on top of that. I love that. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. I we definitely, you know, Jan and I we we are we are parents, we are mothers, um, and we have children that are in school. And, you know, we always talk about being advocates for our kids um, as mm-hmm. when it comes to, hey, you going to know, number one, who I am from mm-hmm. teacher to parent. Uh, mm-hmm. We going to you going to know my name, my number, my email. I'm going to send it. I'm going to write this email real quick to let you know, uh, hey, uh, uh, she not. You ain't letting her in the Zoom call. Now, she's been sitting here 20 minutes. Now, what's going Mm -hmm. on? Uh, (laughs) Did you get the the assignment? Uh, uh, You make sure you email her. I'm going to send a follow-up email and make sure. You don't know who we are. We don't play about this education around here at all. So I love that. We are strong proponents Mm -hmm. of advocating for our kids' education around here. I'm sorry. I'm Mm going to quit talking.
2: But you know what? Another thing with parents, sometimes educators also view parents from a deficit perspective. Mm. So if the parent doesn't show up at the at the PTA meeting or the parent conference, they say they don't care about their child. In actuality, I couldn't come because I was going to the third job so that I can keep a roof over absolutely. my child. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So one, one thing I did as a principal, um, I because I believe in parental involvement, 100%. And I believe that sometimes we have to, go or meet our parents halfway, mm-hmm. at least. So if there was a parent, my policy was a, a parent could not get their child's report card unless they had a meeting with the teacher. So report cards weren't just being posted anywhere. You had to come yeah. in and see the teacher to, to um, get that report card. Of course, we had like a good percent that did not. However, they didn't get it. And I made phone calls. My administrative assistant made phone calls until we had 100% parent involvement when it came to coming to parent-teacher conferences. And if a teacher, if a parent, you know, couldn't come through um, during the normal hours from eight to three, then what time can you come? Can Mm -hmm. I meet you at Starbucks? Because this, your child's success is just that important for me. Um, I, as the principal, met with parents when teachers couldn't because it was really big for me to make sure that we included parents, especially if they wanted to, but their schedules prevented them from doing it. So sometimes we have to, as educators, we have to throw away that deficit mindset when it comes to thinking about our parents, because sometimes that's the roadblock and the reason why parents don't feel comfortable being engaged or involved in schools. So I just wanted to put that plug in there too. Yeah, abs-
0: absolutely, absolutely. Yes.
1: Yeah. well, Dr. Kalisha, man, like Terian mentioned, this has just been such a wealth of knowledge, um, even from, for both Terry and I Respect well, Terian has a background in education. And although my background is in HR, I feel like I was educated in some way. I was just educating adults. Uh, <laughs> but um, before we, you know... Get into the w- great work that you're doing with your consulting firm Transformation by Design. I do wanna point out that to our listeners that you actually co-authored a textbook around this very same topic around equity. Um, is it pedagogy? Go, um,
2: pe- equity pedagogy.
1: <laughs> yes, pedagogy. Okay, <laughs> right. Oh um, um, Which is teaching diverse student populations. Can you share a little bit about um, what's in the textbook, a little bit about it, and um, kind of what was what kind of went into the process of creating Sure, this book? sure. So
2: I co edited this book with my friend and colleague, Dr. Tracy Baxley. Um, and we were both teaching the course Introduction to Diversity for Educators. And we really could not find a textbook that was a right fit for our class. So we decided we needed to write a book. Um, because we wanted it to come from a very unique perspective even considering the demographics of this, the pre-service teachers that we were teaching um, so instead of writing the book alone uh, we vi- invited some of our colleagues and even graduate students to contribute to the textbook based on their different areas of expertise um, Dr. Baxley and I did write like two or three chapters in the book but the rest of it The rest of our work was really editing the other chapters from the other um, contributors. Um, But what really makes the textbook unique um, is that we include practical encounters. So we get different scenarios or case studies throughout the book. Um, What would you do if you were faced with this thing as a teacher or this scenario as a teacher um, before they even read the chapter or even after so that they can apply some of the knowledge that they've learned. Uh, We also included some of the seminal articles um, that were really relevant to our course, like um, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack, where Peggy McIntosh talks about white privilege as a white woman um, and and the privileges that she didn't know she had until she stopped and reflected. So that's a really big seminal piece in in our courses. Um, And then um, other articles on white privilege, racial um, privilege, Christian privilege, et cetera. And then we have um, voices in the field. So we have actual teachers um, that are giving their experiences um, with diversity in the classroom as a part of or in addition to the content of the chapters. Um, So the whole aim was really introducing pedagogical content knowledge. That's how you teach the content. Um, through a critical multicultural lens, um, making sure that there's equity in education for our traditionally marginalized students and that our pre-service teachers and and all those other people that read it, um, that they actually be able to understand the role that they play in meeting the unique needs of our students that are living in a diverse society. So there are other things like uh, we invite them to problematize their own knowledge, their own biases. And there is a series of self-reflective activities, but yeah, that's the text. Um, It was published in 2017. I use it in my classes still. Um, And I just think that it's just a unique um, compilation of a variety of perspectives on different things like socioeconomic status or poverty, um language diversity religious diversity what does diversity mean what does culture mean what is implicit bias like those are just some of the things that that's covered in the textbook
0: i love it i love it yeah that's it i need to get my hands on this textbook This is wonderful stuff. You, you are literally doing the Lord's work, seriously, uh, Dr. Khalid. That's what
2: I feel. No, you That's what really, I feel.
0: really, really, truly are. This is amazing. This is amazing. Um, before we close things out, we do want to talk to you a little bit, or would love for you to share with us about the work that you're doing uh, with your consulting firm, because you are a woman of, of many talents. <laughs> um, you have a consulting firm, uh, Transformation by Design. Can you tell us about, about your firm and what you do, the work that you're
2: doing, um, and just share all the wonderful things about that,
0: please?
2: Sure. Um, Transformation by Design Consulting was birthed out of my desire to just want to do more, um, and not necessarily more to be busy, but more in, in terms of um, making a difference for our students, specifically our students, um, of color. Um, so it's a professional development company that, um, where I'm really interested in empowering educators, um, empowering them to really see the importance of their role in transforming the lives of students. I really believe that professional development should be intentional and engaging, Um, And so, when I think about transformational work or transformational learning, I think that it goes beyond just learning structures, content, and routines. I think it's really, um, it's really interested in teaching students to consciously and critically make meaning of what they're learning um, and how they can use that knowledge to really make their lives and the world a better place. So in order for learning to be transformational for students, then teachers need to know what that really looks like and what that really means. So all of my PD um, seeks to make that connection um, between what the educators are learning and how they can use that learning to support students, um, the needs of students and transform those students' lives. This is done through three things, self-reflection, open dialogue and intentional action. I think that in order to be the best educator possible, you have to be engaged in self-reflection. Okay. Like, what did I do today? How do I, how, how, do, how did I do? Um, could I have done anything better? Uh, I need to self-reflect. Um, this particular student was this way today. Did I do something to offend the student? What do I need to do tomorrow? Did I really challenge that? St- like self-reflection should be big and self-reflection should drive what you do next for yourself professionally, as well as for your students. Um, I also believe in open dialogue. I believe that sometimes our teachers feel like their voices are not important. Um, and open dialogue allows them to share their experiences share what they're doing, um, being honest about their work so that we can all move forward um, together with a plan. And that leads to intentional action. All of my professional development ends with, now what are you gonna do next? We've learned this, this, and that. What is that one thing that you're gonna automatically implement into your practice as a teacher that's going to transform the lives of your students or transform your classrooms? Um, So I believe that intentional action is, is very important. Um, so I have individual and group coaching. Um, I've been doing a lot more of that lately, um, where um, educators get to identify an area that an area there, that they want to see personal uh, or professional growth. And then we meet um, periodically to kind of work on those goals and kind of move them forward. Um, I also do school growth sessions, and those are the professional development sessions for schools. Um, but I don't have those cookie cutter um, PD sessions. I, it always it always starts with an asset appraisal. I want to know what do you want to change, who's involved in the process, um, what it uh, what do you want to see. Um, I wanna hear it from the voices of those that I'm giving the training to so that each of the sessions are tailored to meet the specific needs of that particular school. Um, There are always um, opportunities for choice boards and um, classroom visits if needed, just trying to make sure that the professional development is meaningful for educators. And then, um, even though I'm shy by nature, I do get out of my element and persona sometimes and have speaking engagements um, at different conferences and workshops and events um, to really share what I believe that God has blessed me with, the the passion to really make a difference in this area. Um, So, Transformation by Design Consulting, um, I live and breathe that these days. Um, because I really want to make sure that what God has called me to do, that I'm really doing it. Um, yeah. And that my consulting firm gives me that space to be able to do it. So, whereas before I'll just get calls about, you know, can you help me with this or that or that? This firm now formalizes all of that that I was doing before into. You know a company that can really serve the needs of people and um i really see jesus as being the master teacher so the way that he taught and and how he dealt with people even people that didn't like him he was very responsive to their needs so i see myself as one that's sitting at the feet of that master teacher and wanting to implement or emulate emulate is the word emulate what he did and does um, in my business. Um, and that's why I say this is an opportunity for me to, you know, do what God has called me to do. Uh, that's transformation. I love <laughs> it. You are
0: living, living out the gospel, truly are living out the gospel. I love it. And you're vocal about it on top of that. I, I, I love, I don't now, know how many times i probably said love. We have to do a love count.
1: I to give an <laughs> and A and B
0: Oh. Oh, they are open. Come, we like to, yes, right hand fellowship. Something I don't know, mm-hmm. but that. Oh my goodness, I lost my train of thought because there was something I was gonna say and I forgot. I keep forgetting. Well, Why
1: you gather your thought? I just want to say, man, this is sure even annoying you, Dr. Kalisha. Uh, there's a lot of things. I'm, I've still learned so much from this conversation um, about you. As it relates to transformation by design, I don't know if you said this already. If if you did, I apologize if I missed it. Um, Mm -hmm. This does extend the reach of the classroom. Like you um, provide these teachings to organizations that are not directly, you know, just education focused.
2: Correct. I do. Um, I've worked with, you know, American Express, I've worked with other companies, I've worked with churches. Um, so the organizations that I support are not just schools, um, and it definitely goes beyond the work of the classroom. So if someone called me tomorrow and said, we have a group of Sunday school teachers that need to be a little bit more responsive to the needs of their students, I I would do it if there was a company that was interested in, you know, just some diversity training or tips on you know, how to be more inclusive with the diversity in the workplace. I've done those types of things, too. Um, So is your work uh, national, not just local, but all um, over the states or I I do do things in other states. So I do work beyond Florida. I'm supporting uh, a school in Louisiana now. Um, I've done work in Georgia. Um, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yes, I do go beyond the the state of Florida. Um, I just believe in going where the services are needed. So yes, it's, it it goes beyond my local area where I am now.
1: Awesome, good to know. And
0: yes, yeah. <laughs> they're very duly not- noted. You have no idea what's probably about to come your way. <laughs>
2: oh 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 Oh, no, 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 uh-oh.
0: uh-oh. Praise
1: yeah, God. But also to Praise our God. listeners, if you're listening, well, if you're listening, you should be listening. Class is in session. We've been having class for about an hour now, you know? Sure. <laughs> but no, if you um, resonate with a lot with the work that um, Dr. Kalisha um, is doing and want to get connected, rather if you are an educator or, because I was thinking, this is why I asked you this, Debbie because, you know, like I said, I come from an HR background. A lot of these same mm-hmm. teachings and philosophies will apply greatly in the corporate space, too. So, um,
2: yes, yes,
1: yes. Y'all know this is, and, you know, and this is the time, too, that, you know, we see that people want to get on board with, you know, with the times with, you know, with diversity and inclusion and, and belonging and things of that nature. So there are, resources out there that you should as well yep. connect with her transformation yep. by design all right
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well oh no were you, you go no, ahead, go ahead no 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 I didn't know where we going to the next question no we're closing um, I, that's what I thought I just wanted to make we're sure like on. we were going to the closing closing question. we're going see, to the addition now all righty well man dr kalisha we are just so grateful for having this opportunity to speak with you uh today this has been such a wonderful gift and um Yeah, like, this has been so great. But before we close officially, we always like to ask our guests um, a couple of closing questions. And so (laughs) for you, um, I'd like to ask you, what is your power word for 2020? Now, it could be a word, it could be a couple of words, it could be a phrase, it doesn't have to be a word, but just something that is, um, that kind of has resonated with you this year, or, you know, had you had you this word from the beginning of the year what is your word
2: i wouldn't say that i've had this um word from the beginning of the year um but it came along the way i want to say that my word is intentional yeah and it goes beyond just um being intentional in terms of what i do but be intentional in my relationships be intentional in how I show up for my students, be intentional about the connections that I make, be intentional and make those intentional um, acts of intention real and meaningful. So intentional is my
0: word, my power word. I love that. I think you definitely right now, you can't fake the funk probably like you could before. So you literally do have to be so much more intentional or you really have to truly be intentional Mm -hmm. because of how things are right now. I love that. Mm -hmm.
2: And you know what? And even thinking on a more personal spiritual level, I have to really be intentional about being a Christian because with the way of the world right now and the things that people say and do, you kind of want to take off that cloak and uh, take off that jacket and say okay now here's a real me Yeah, I'm be intentional because I really believe that by the way I treat you and engage with you you should know who I serve mm-hmm. yeah you should know who I am at the core and so I really these days have to um, turn off that tv some days yeah. because you know the human side wants to dwell on the things that's wrong and, and really you know, get out of character, but yeah, I, I have to be intentional. Be intentional about who I am at the core and and all of the people and opportunities just gotta be intentional about those things.
1: Yes. Absolutely You're so true about that. I mean, like you yes. said, we wanted to take mm-hmm. that cloak up. I had to send mine to the dry cleaners because
2: I was get it off of me. Get it. Get it. Yeah. Get please, that, oh,
1: get that, um, please, get that out. That dry clean and put it back <laughs> on. <laughs> oh, okay. So, any new works or projects for the remaining of twenty twenty? We're in Q four now. Um, hopefully things will, you know, are we end on a better note than how we started this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm, do you have mm-hmm. anything in the works for for the remainder of the year or the start of the new year?
2: Well, um, I'm really uh, being intentional (laughs) about the individual educator coaching sessions um, because I'm finding that uh, more educators are needing support right now. So I've really been doing quite a few um, coaching sessions on remote teaching strategies, student engagement, how to be culturally responsive in a virtual classroom. Um, So I'm really supporting most educators that come my way in those things right now. However, I have I am working on a pilot right now of an academic support program for students, um, and I'm going to run that pilot for a few months to really see if that's the direction I want to really go in. And from that pilot, I'm going to determine if I'm going to do it on a larger scale. Um, really thinking about culture responsive academic support for students, especially those who have been impacted by the COVID nineteen learning loss, and um, the summer learning loss, and they really have to play catch up, um, really looking at um, specific support for those types of students to really close that achievement gap through intentional um, strategies. So that's my new project right now. It's a pilot, and we'll see what the next steps are The um, there is for that in January.
0: Oh, man, looking forward to that. Um, yeah, That's that's once again, you just keep doing the Lord's work and you just keep doing more and more of it. And uh, Mm -hmm. this is great. This is so wonderful. Um, Lastly, I'd like to ask you, how can our listeners connect
2: with you? All right. I mainly um, use LinkedIn. So if you just search for my name, Kalisha Walden, Ph.D., um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I am also on instagram and that's at transform by design at transform by design um, and they can also go to my website um, transformation by and there is a way to connect with me through my website
0: perfect and we will make sure that we have all of that information linked in our uh blog notes when the episode releases so our um listeners will be able to have direct access to you thank you mm-hmm.
1: well again dr kalisha thank you so so much for taking this time out of your day um to, to share with us in this in this way and really educate us on a lot of different things and a lot of great work that you're doing and continue to do um so
2: thank you for that um you're welcome. And thank you for having me. Um, it was a pleasure. Of course. Thank you. You're
1: so welcome. Yes. You're so welcome. Anything you yeah. want to share or add before we close,
0: Terry? Uh, no, I think I've said enough. I feel like I've talked a lot this episode. Not that I don't want to say more, but I just feel like we will never wrap this episode up if I keep talking. Just thank you so much, Dr. Kalisha. It's been a pleasure um, and an honor to meet you. Um, and I cannot wait to personally. I think I, there are some people I would love to get you connected with. And um, awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just uh, you know, I want this to catch on fire, like set a blaze and like catch on fire and, and spread like a wildfire um, throughout the education system because it is needed so bad. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you see a need, you feel a need and you stepped up to the plate and you're using your gifts for good. And I love it. I just think it's yeah. great. Yeah. Amen. Amen.
1: All right, you Well, we're going to head out. But if, as always, thank you so much for continuously supporting us and also in our mission of amplifying the beautiful black voices that sharing in space, you know, it's always our aim to um, share our stories of transformation, um, share our lessons and celebrate our successes. And of course, you know, man, we definitely have done that today. So um, catch all our episodes, send this one to a friend um, and yeah, just, just keep the conversation going, but you know, until next time we connect with y'all again, melanate on that
0: thank you for tuning in hope you enjoyed our chat today keep the conversation going by heading to itunes to subscribe rate and leaving us a review have a story of your own to share email us at
1: info at melanatedconversations.com or connect with us on social media at melanated conversations till next time keep raising your
2: voice